Hey, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week, my guest is Victor Montaliani, the Canadian who's the CONCACAF president and the FIFA vice president. We have an interesting conversation I think you'll like. While I have you, make sure to check out my new podcast series, Throwback, on the origins of the U.S. women's national team and the FIFA Women's World Cup itself. That's Throwback, with new episodes dropping every Thursday. Onward! As promised, we've got Victor Montaliani on the podcast. He is the CONCACAF president. He's also the FIFA vice president. Here in our New York City studio, Victor, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be here, Grant. Um, lots going on this summer, obviously. Uh, you're here kind of expressly to promote CONCACAF Gold Cup, uh, which is happening uh, starting June 15th. Um, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to with this Gold Cup in particular? Well, I think off the field, it's it's you know we're excited because it's the first time we've expanded it from 12, the traditional 12, which is always a bit awkward, I found, to 16. I think uh, some of the results that we've had in the last two editions kind of uh, shown that we're ready for that. Jamaica making the final the last two, so mm-hmm. we haven't had the U.S.-Mexico uh, duopoly in the last two editions. Uh, uh, obviously, Curaçao performing very well in the last Gold Cup. And also our, our League of Nations, which kicked off last year, uh, showing that teams were investing and in, 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 in producing players. And now you have new debutants of Guyana and Bermuda. Uh, Nicaragua's back for the first time in a long time. And so I think uh, what we're having, you know, I think we're ready for 16. And then also two venues that are outside of North America for the first time. So trying to grow th- the sport from an infrastructure standpoint in Costa Rica that has a fantastic national stadium, and in Jamaica, which... Um, you know, I know we'll be a sellout, and we all know the passion that Jamaica has for, for football. So we're excited for that, and obviously on the field we're excited as well because teams are going to come with their best teams. Um, you know, I know there's always an injury here or there or, or somebody having a baby like Chicharito, but, um, but you know, uh, you have some exciting stars, Pulisic, Lozano, Davies, um, and then, um, you know, you have uh, also the – the benches, the uh, coaches, the new coaches uh, that have a lot to prove uh, in their new jobs, uh, especially uh, with our two big giants, U.S. and Mexico, with two new coaches. So that, that's those are interesting stories. Um, happening at the same time, or mostly the same time, will be the Women's World Cup in France. Uh, where, From where you sit, where is women's soccer right now in CONCACAF? At what stage of development? I, I, think, I think it's... It, it, we need to accelerate it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I found I found that um, it stagnated a little bit, um, not over the last three years, but I think it stagnated in the sense that, you know, we were just putting on tournaments. There was no strategy behind it, which is why uh, we took the initiative of hiring Karina LeBlanc as our director of women's football. She came in on last year. She's been doing a lot of traveling in our region, sort of understanding it, gathering a lot of information. And actually at the Women's World Cup, with a meeting with our members that we're going to have, she's launching our first women's strategic initiative mm-hmm. in terms of what is going to be our strategic plan with respect to w- specifically women's football on the v- development side. So we're excited about that. And uh, so I think I think with that shot in the arm, plus I think uh, the great story of Jamaica being the first Caribbean country to qualify for the Women's World Cup and what that has meant already at the grassroots level in that region with young girls already um, you know, naming the names of the Jamaican girls uh, in terms of uh, already as their idol. So 
I think we're in a good opportunity for tremendous growth over the next um, at least decade in terms of our competitions. Uh, we rebranded those competitions, but we're also having a real look at them from a technical perspective to make them, uh, you know, best of class. And um, and so I think uh, we're at a, we're at a good point from a starting point because I think uh, we um, unfortunately I thought we had stagnated the last four or five years and. The, uh, you know, it was the narrative was always a U.S. Canada narrative, but I think it needs to go beyond that. Um, there was an interesting story Sam Borden did for ESPN Magazine. I don't know if you saw it uh, in the last week. It came out in their World Cup preview issue on Jamaica. Uh, great story, as you mentioned, getting to the World Cup for the first time, and and yet their general secretary in that story was kind of saying, "Look, I." we don't make a lot of revenue off of women's soccer in Jamaica. And that the implication was, was why they had sort of disbanded the, the Jamaican women's program a couple of times in the last five right. years. Um, what can CONCACAF do to prevent women's national teams from essentially being disbanded and, and getting the support they need financially? Yeah, listen, I think I think part of it's a, an educational process, uh, making people understand the importance of the women's game. And it's not just because it's the women's game. It's football played by women. No different than football played by youth, football played by men, football played with people with a, dis, with a disadvantage uh, because we have that too. Um, and... Uh, so I, I think it's an educational process, and I think our strategic initiative, our women's strategic initiative, kind of addresses that, is breaking down those cultural barriers, because th- that's what they are. Your cultural barriers making people understand that um, it's not strictly about revenue. I mean, with all due respect, youth teams don't generate revenue either, men or boys, but we invest in them. So it's about the investment. What is? How do you measure the return on the investment? And fair enough, I'm not. I'm not expecting countries to to have the same operating budgets as the U.S. women's national team or Canadian women's national team. That's not what we're talking about. It's about the investment and, and ensuring that you don't have those situations where you have complete vacuums of programs for generations. And I, I think every girl in our confederation deserves the right, A, to play, and B, to dream. And um, and I think that, to me, is the basis of how we, we need to drive the initiative. I wanted to ask you about your role uh, as the chair of FIFA's Stakeholders Committee. This is a, a pretty powerful group inside FIFA. Uh, committee hasn't been around too long, but it's the idea of it is to connect FIFA with various stakeholders in the professional game around the world. Um, what kind of stuff are you doing with it as the chair? Our primary focus initially was, um, and it still is, is... is uh, is, is really um, changing the, um, the entire transfer system. Hmm. Um, so, for instance, um, and, and a lot of those themes are intertwined. So when you, it's such a, such a diverse and complicated system that once you move one thing, uh, you got to move another thing. So, for instance, uh, regulating agents. So we've come up with a framework of regulating agents. Hmm. Um, they have to be licensed and they have to be educated, uh, capping commissions, all this kind of thing. So... Uh, so that's that's one of the things we've done. Um, all of this will be rolled out in the next 12 months. There's been a tremendous amount of work. Uh, for instance, uh, the transfer system, uh, solidarity payments. What we found in our research was that over the last seven years, a lot of the 5% solidarity that was supposed to be paid mm. that then went to 
developing clubs and and uh, was not being paid <laughs> it wasn't collected we're talking over a billion dollars in wow. seven years that is not didn't go to football mm-hmm. so for instance creating a a um uh, a, a sort of a, a clearinghouse mm-hmm. where now everything goes in there and that clearinghouse which is regulated uh no different than a bank uh has governance around it an independent board they now disperse so everybody does get it mm-hmm. so it's a lot of it is 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 some of it's actually not even football related it's it's you know financial and banking and and regulation so so we're trying to bring some uh sanity to the system uh, i mean listen players will be worth what they're worth but i think uh but it it's really ensuring that there's proper governance around it there's uh, and so those are some of the things that we're working on loans for instance uh, regulating loans um uh, squad sizes those are all things that are currently being discussed by the stakeholders uh, because you have clubs that have signed 80 professionals and they put them on loan all over the place and uh, you know it's to me it's it just doesn't sound like reasonable so uh it's br- trying to bring some reasonableness back into the system and uh and you know the stakeholders have been very good um i have to commend uh, sort of they've come with a good attitude you know sure they have their positions and i can appreciate that but but it uh we've had uh, a very good 12 well a little bit more than 15 16 months and um so i think i'm looking forward to the next 12 months where i think we'll be coming out with what these uh what our regulations will be around some of these issues when i speak to agents sometimes and i'm talking mostly about agents who represent young us players yeah. um there's a hope that at some point fifa will reconsider the 18 year olds age limit yeah. on transferring on not allowing the transfer of players under the age of 18 between countries um I I'm just saying what the agents think here and I believe me I know they they come with a vested interest them, you mean of they would prefer that it be allowed yeah. not the current situation yeah. that it isn't allowed they understand that this rule that FIFA has originally came uh from a, a good place wanting to keep kids off an african from yeah, no. going to europe and then not making it and ending up on the street in yeah. european countries um but then you see like a player like Christian Pulisic for example because he got an EU passport was able to go to Dortmund at age 15 yeah. um and break through at a very early age obviously a very specific example but the feeling being that if more american kids got that opportunity who didn't have an EU passport it might be better for american soccer or fill in the blank on the country yeah is there any even discussion at this there point is. of changing it There actually is. Uh, we're looking at it. the The reality of it is not. It's not just about a FIFA rule. There's some national rules around okay. that. For instance, in Germany, um, and these are the stakeholders who are giving us this information. So, it, it's not easy to put a universal um, rule in. For instance, to say, okay, well, you're going to drop it to 16 because that would create some major complications in some of the European countries because they have some labor laws uh, relating to domestic labor worker issues and i think germany is one of the jurisdictions that has that so and what happens there it could create an unfair advantage too from a footballing standpoint because now country a can, can do it country b can't do it and so that creates a whole different ball of wax so it is being examined hmm. um but you know you're dealing with uh, minors as right. well and so you got need to be very careful you don't want to 
create a situation where we're back to where we were when they first had to put this rule in, you know, because that's that's not good. Um, and so I think, but we are looking at it. So you think there is an actual chance it might get changed or? Um, modified. I'm not sure about, you know, um, uh, I, I, I think, I think we're more looking at it from, um, is there circumstances where it can be allowed where you, because it's really a risk management issue, let's mm-hmm. be honest, right? So can you, can you manage that risks and say, okay, it is 18. However, in certain circumstances, forget about the passport issues where the risk is not there of this player being left on the streets of Paris, uh, we'll sign off on it. Mm. And so, but what are they? What are those parameters? What are they? So it's being looked at from different angles, you know, changing it completely could be an option uh, where you just say, okay, now it's a different age, but but uh, it is being looked at. Um, CONCACAF Nations League uh, is going to be continuing this fall. Teams like the U.S. are going to be entering the competition um, I think the general reaction to UEFA's Nations League was, oh, this is better than we were expecting. Yeah. Um, do you think that'll be the case? Has it been the case so far with CONCACAF? Yeah, I mean, our, our initial Nations League, the qualification phase, as we call it, um, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, and then it was a tremendous success in terms of viewership, in terms of even international exposure. You had papers all over the place writing about it. Uh, you know, great stories like Montserrat. I was at in Montserrat when they won their first game, two one. It was unbelievable, Grant. Ah. I'm telling you, it's and it's one of the most romantic stadiums I've ever been at. Top of a hill, um, you know, about twenty five hundred seat stadium. Eh. One of the best pitches I've ever seen in my life. Huh? It's unbelievable. And you had, you know, two thirds of the country in the stadium, right? Because huh. it's a country of five thousand and going absolutely bonkers. People crying because they beat Belize. Won nothing that night on a screamer, and uh, it was uh, you know it was really what football is really all about. Uh, it was also it was almost a confirmation of you know why we are in this sport and why we love it. Um, but I think it's going to be uh, I, I think it's going to be a tremendous success. You're going to have surprises. Yeah, listen, you're going to have some games that maybe are not as competitive as you thought they were going to be. Like it happened in the. European one when Spain smashed Croatia six nothing in the first game, we're like, well, what happened there? And then Germany gets relegated. So, but that's the beauty about it, right? These are now meaningful games, not friendlies that don't mean anything, right? And uh, so, I think with meaningful games, you'll get meaningful results. Um, I, I did want to ask you also another question about uh, you mentioned solidarity payments, and we've seen MLS sort of change its approach completely yeah. on that recently, yeah. and. Is that a situation? I, we're still awaiting a ruling, aren't we, on the the Tottenham, um, yeah, Yedlin, Yedlin case yeah, and Cass. Yeah. Um, but are we seeing MLS and 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 soccer in this country start to come on board with more of the international norms? Yeah, I, I think you're starting to see that. I think. Um, Actually, Don has been named on the stakeholders committee by the World League. Don Farm. Garber, yeah. yeah, Don Garber, and so I think, um, and I think what you're starting to see, and, and I've had this discussion with them. I think the, I think the next frontier for Major League Soccer is the, the international relevancy of their league. Uh, they've done a tremendous job domestically, the growth and and all that stuff, uh, and you know they've made the sport relevant in, in this um, in, in this part of the world. Um, and on this continent, 
But I think the next frontier for them is 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 becoming relevant internationally, winning the CONCACAF Champions League, um, you know, getting to a Club World Cup, um, becoming what I think potentially they could become one of the top five leagues in the world. It's not going to happen next year, but I think they could. I think that the, the dynamics are there. And when I say MLS, I'm including Liga MX in that too. Yeah. Uh, because it's, you know, two sides of the same coin. Um, so I think I think that is the next frontier for the league is, is the international relevancy of it. And to do that, you have to fall in line as well with with international rules and international cultural behavioral traits as well. <laughs> Such and as? So, well, you know, just, just sort of the way we approach the game, right? And sort of yeah. FIFA windows and all the other things. And they've done a much better job at it, you know, and it's, they're, they're, you know, and you know, listen, it's not easy for them. I mean, the calendar is tough, and you know, we we have some realities from a weather standpoint. We have some realities because of other sports that we have in our uh, jurisdiction that they don't have in other right. jurisdictions. With all due respect, right? Now, the NF, they don't have the monstrosity of National Football League and the, and the Major League Baseball, and to a lesser extent, the NHL. Um, they don't have those realities. Yeah. the rest of the world and we do so and so I think with that in mind I think they've done a good job with balancing it but I think they understand that that's the next frontier for them I get this question from our readers so I'll, I'll ask you now you know where does FIFA actually stand on on promotion and relegation around the world because I have these readers saying well FIFA's own statutes say that you have to have promotion and relegation Australia obviously does not with their top yeah. league. MLS does not. Is FIFA ever going to be in a position on that international norm? And is it a norm more than a rule? What's, yeah, for me, what I, you, I, you know, it's all, it's like anything, right? It's like, it's like, a, there's a reason why there's courts, right? Because there is laws, <laughs> yeah. but you interpret the law one way and I interpret it the one way and then the judge will tell us if we're both wrong or I'm right and you're wrong. I, I, for me, it's more of a norm than mm -hmm. a law. Uh, and, and, and the fact that FIFA, um, you know, listen, they, it's not a priority, to be quite blank, because if it was, uh, they would be policing it. And they don't, um, because they understand that there's some realities of why the MLS started the way it did um, and why the A-League in Australia started the way it did, why the new Canadian League started the way it did in, in Canada, the, K, the CPL. And so uh, they understand, but it's a norm. But, I, you know, I think, though, you know, having said that, you know, as a football person, you know, if I sat here and tell you I don't believe in it, that'd be a, an out-and-out -out lie. I mean, we have a League of Nations. We have promotion and relegation in that. Um, but I think I also understand the realities of it. And, mm -hmm. and um, But but I think it's a discussion that I think needs to happen. Uh, it's got to go from the kitchen table to the boardroom table mm -hmm. and have some serious dialogue around it. And, I, I you know, I don't agree with, you know, trying to force those things through, through courts. I think it's the wrong way to approach things. Um, but I think it's a, it's an intellectual discussion that needs to happen. Uh, and, um, you know, maybe it's something for the future. Victor Mentaliani, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Victor Mentaliani as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Just a quick reminder, check out my new podcast series, Throwback, on the origins of the U.S. Women's National Team and the Women's World Cup itself. That's Throwback, with new episodes dropping every Thursday. See you next time.